Uh, we wanted to talk about in Acts chapter 12, if you, as I put the tagline out the other day, that sometimes being in perfect obedience to God's will uh, puts us in danger. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. And um, I'm hopeful that uh, we can talk about that uh, and that there are some things that we can touch on. Before we jump into the text tonight, though, let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for this word. The people that will see it, that'll that are seeing it now, and Father, we just pray that you would help us to just lift you up, Father, and that we would help to exalt the name of Jesus, Father, as we do this study in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, you know our format by now. We're going to jump into the text. Um, do want to do a shout out to uh, our for our new little my little logo over here. I think I can point to it. I'm really kind of proud of that. Got that up in the background. But uh, if you got your Bible, as always, get something to write with, something to write on. We've got some interesting things, I think, out of this text tonight. Not sure how far we'll get. But uh, if you jump into Acts chapter 12, and uh, we'll start reading. And the first five verses where I'm going to read first, and uh, then we're going to stop and chat. It says, about that time, King Herod. Now, let me back up. Um, where'd we leave things? Where we left things was, was in Antioch. And... Um, remember some men had come down from Jerusalem and prophesied that there would be a famine in the land and sure enough there was a famine in the land and um, then we left them out there where they were dealing with that they were sending relief to that um, the guys were in uh, Antioch and teaching it's hard being a one man band got trying to silence my phone and everything like that but uh, they were in Antioch and they had uh been teaching for a while and so that's what had been happening you remember the story about Caesarea about Peter got released from prison etc etc so in chapter 12 about that time King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church and he executed James John's brother with the sword and when he saw that it pleased the Jews he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the festival of unleavened bread and after the arrest he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him intending to bring him out to the people after the passover and so peter was kept in prison but the church was praying fervently to god for him now i mean the thing that you have to kind of that i want to really point out is this james died James, the son or the the son of Zebedee, brother of of John, was killed with the sword. I mean, run through uh, by King Herod, and it says in there that he began to persecute heavily uh, those that belonged to the church. And when he found out that the Jews were excited that he was persecuting the church, he said, "I'm gonna go grab Peter and throw him in." Now, what this does is is one of those things you you get when you're when you're studying the Bible is there's what's in the text and then there's kind of you sometimes you need to step back and say what's going on underneath the text and let me let me point out what i'm talking about james was doing the thing i mean he was following god's will and it got him killed and what this does is it pretty much destroys this idea that if you're in god's will you'll always be protected from everything um, I used to hear growing up that the safest place you can be is in the very center of God's will, that you'll be protected from everything. I don't even know if that was very explicit in that. I mean, as far as folks just uh, necessarily 
thinking that, but I, I get what they're thinking, that being in the middle of God's will is the right place to be. But we've got this twisted idea of what that means. It doesn't always mean that we're going to be safe. James was in the middle of God's will. He was one of the disciples, one of the leaders of the church. And it got him killed. Um, and so it also just kind of destroys this idea that nothing can come to me that's bad as long as I'm in his will. It's just not true. I mean, we, we hear it all the time that, you know, someone's in a near accident or walks away from a, uh, a, a car accident or something. Oh, God was really with me. He was really protecting me. And while that may be true, it doesn't mean that if someone passes in a car accident that God wasn't with them. And we have to be careful with this idea that we sometimes think and we get involved in that that just because God we're in God's will, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be okay. In fact, being in God's will right in the heart of it can sometimes bring us great danger, um, as it did to James. And so we just kind of got to prepare our hearts for God's sovereignty. We've got to prepare our hearts for God to work and do and will and be and whatever comes, comes. Um, and in chapter 12, uh, we're going to get to that in just a second, but everybody focuses on, on Peter's uh, deliverance. You know, that's, that's the great story um, in Acts chapter 12, uh, you know, is his, believer, his deliverance, which is miraculous. But are we to believe then that they didn't pray for James? You know, we're going to read that part of the story in a minute that Peter got put in prison and they fervently prayed for him. There was a miracle. So the question comes up, why did Peter get released and James die? If you go with this idea that if you're in God's will, everything's going to be okay, then you have a quandary of what you're going to do with the story of James. Our prosperity preachers that are out there right now will teach you if you just have enough faith, everything's going to be okay. Would they say that James didn't have enough faith? Would they say that something happened? Was God on break? Could not God not stop that? And so there's a tension in this text that kind of gets passed over a lot, but we have to deal with that. I mean, there's a real tension in there, and we fall back to our, our theology, which says God is sovereign and God is good. And here's the thing I want to throw out to you that you may not have heard said this way before. The reason James died is because it pleased God that he would do so. Now, I don't mean pleased God in the sense that he was happy that James died, but I'm saying that it was an allowed thing. Nothing comes to us what that doesn't already pass through the permissive will and the fingers of the Lord. Nothing surprises, nothing comes to us that surprises him. And nothing happens to us that he couldn't stop. It's all part of his plan and his will. And once we really get settled on that, then we look at everything differently. Um, we look at the death of loved ones differently. We look at sickness, illness, financial reversal. All of those things become different stories when you realize that God will do as he pleases according to the text. And so I don't want to miss that part of this, uh, of this chapter. And we ha kind of have, as we move on, we kind of have to uh, really focus on the idea that, that we cannot gauge God's faithfulness. We cannot gauge his goodness based on our circumstances, even in situations like James where the circumstances were, were death. We have to fall back on God's goodness and sovereignty being exactly what it is. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 
In verse 6, it says, When Herod was about to bring him out for trial, that very night Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers, and while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, striking Peter in the side. He woke him up and said, Quick, get up. And I've always, I love the way, especially in some of the stories in the book of Acts, that um, we see these details that he gives us. Um, so we get the scene. Two soldiers are sleeping on the other, either side. He's, he's undressed. Um, to what degree? Who knows? You know, the, the, it was warm, uh, you know, and he, he was, had his outer cloak off for sure. So he was in a vulnerable place. But that's one of those things where you kind of have to read between the lines to see what was going on. Peter was just being Peter. He was in prison, sure. But it came time to go to bed, and he got ready for bed and went to bed. And then the angel came, and it says it struck him in the side. I like that because, you know, you kind of get this idea in our heads of that the angel was just saying, Oh, Peter, you know, like there was some sort of... No, he had to hit him in the side, which tells me this. Peter was asleep. I mean, he was sleeping, and he had to be, you know, shuffled awake there. And so I thought that was interesting as well. And so uh, as we look into this text, and uh, we go down there, and he says, Get up. And the chains fell off his wrist, verse 8, get dressed, the angel told him, put on your sandals, and he did, wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. Now, before I jump into verse 9, this is this, there's been several times now that the apostle Peter um, saw these signs, visions, they see angels, and I'm sitting here studying this going, is this just a normal thing for these cats? I mean, are they seeing angels? Cornelius is seeing an angel of the Lord. They're having visions. And I get to thinking, man, they were really experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, I, I maybe I get a little jealous uh, that they were experiencing God in that way. But it was fresh and it was new and God was really doing something. And as we move into this story in verse 9, he says, After he got up, he got dressed, he got on his shoes. So he went out and followed and he did not know that what the angel did was really happening, but he thought that he was seeing a vision. Apparently, this was such a normal thing. He thought he was just seeing a vision, a dream, or whatever. Um, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul says, explaining an event, he says, I don't know if I was in the Spirit or not. Um, there was this existence that they had with the Holy Spirit as he would show them things. And even the Apostle Paul would say, I don't know if it was real, if it was happening, if I'd been taken in the Spirit. Remember, he'd been taken away. John on Patmos was taken up, seeing the vision of the throne and, uh, and the heavens. And so I have to wonder, was this just a regular occurrence for these dudes? Um, and how wonderful would that be? But as we keep reading, he didn't know what was happening, but he went out, he followed, he's doing what he's told. Verse 10, after they passed the first and second guards, who apparently didn't see them, couldn't see them, or whatever, the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them by itself. I think Holly, somebody should make this movie. I mean, this sounds like a really cool story. Then they went outside and passed uh, on past one street, and suddenly the angel left him. Just like that. Now, think about this for a second. He's in prison. Angel comes, smacks him on the side. Get up, dude. Let's go. Get your sandals on. Come on. Chains fall off. Door open by itself. They pass one street. They're a block away from the prison. <laughs> Just a block away. Poof. Angel's gone. Peter 
who a block ago was in prison is now outside in the prison all by himself. I, you know he was. You know it felt weird. I, I just I love this sort of sort of the story. And then verse eleven. Now when Peter came to himself, when he came to reality, um, or I, I would put it like this: when things kind of returned to normal, he didn't think he was in a vision anymore. He was outside. Um, it's kind of like I. I as he realized this he went to the house of mary the mother of john mark where he where many had assembled and were praying remember they were praying fervently for him remember james had died james was not saved uh from death but peter was released from prison and they were praying and i love this part of the story simply because it's so real and so human there's some real human characters in this story let's keep going uh, verse 13, he knocked at the door of the outer gate and a servant named Rhoda came to an answer. Now, I want to stop on Rhoda for a second. Um, the Bible's full of characters that we know and that we recognize and that, that turn up all the time. And then it's full of people that are just people that kind of come and they go and sometimes we know their names and sometimes we don't. I like Rhoda. Rhoda is a normal person. Rhoda's just... In this part of the story, well, let's just read it and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Rhoda came to answer, verse 14, she recognized Peter's voice and because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. I can see this young girl goes to answer the door because people are in there praying, whether she was a servant girl, whatever, and, and she goes to the store and she's like, oh, it's Peter, it's Peter, he was in prison, but he's here. And she's so excited, she forgets to let him in. She just goes back into the into the room and starts to tell everybody that Peter's Peter's outside. And you know somebody in the room was like, why didn't you open the door? Because she was so excited. I mean, isn't that something that would happen? Um, I've got to tell a story on my daughter because that's it connects me to this. My daughter's um, uh, 22-ish. I think she's 22. Um, she's about to get her CPA. She's got a master's degree in accounting already. Um, very successful. Got a good job. Married. Um, just fantastically intelligent. I mean, my wife is extremely intelligent. Um, I I can hit or miss, honestly. Um, but my daughter's very intelligent, book smart wise. Um, and it's weird to me because as intelligent as she is, she does some silly things. We got a text message from her the other day and they had just gone to Jamaica with some friends on a trip that they had planned a long time ago. And um, apparently through customs, through the plane, through uh, everything, got to Jamaica to, to disembark from the plane and realized there was a, <laughs> there was a sock stuck on the back. And uh, it was like in that story, Monsters, Inc. They had a 2319, they had a sock stuck back there. 
And, uh, you know, here's a super intelligent person, but she was so caught up in the trip, she didn't notice that small detail. Well, that made me think of Rhoda, who was so excited about Peter being at the gate that she just forgot to let him in. Very human story. And so, um, in verse 14, she runs back. She didn't open the gate. And then in verse 15, you're out of your mind, they told her. It's not Peter. Peter's in prison. Y you slipping, Rhoda. And she said, but she kept insisting that it was true. And they said, it is his angel. Peter, however, kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. Can you imagine what was going through Peter's mind? I just got released from prison by an angel. Chains fell off. Walked past the dude's door opens by itself. I'm out in the street by myself. I go to Mary's house and they won't even let me in. And you know, he was like, hello. If it was me, I'd be looking around. Or have they followed me? Do they know I'm coming? And I think that they probably would have because we see some of that in the next story. And in verse 17, they finally come. They open it. It's him. They're amazed. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent. Because you know what was happening. These are people. Somebody was, if this was in East Texas happening, somebody would be shouting. Okay, there was hollering and laughter. They were hugging. And you know, he was like, shh, be quiet. Let me tell you what happened. Get in the house, get in the house, shut the door. You can just kind of see it in the, in, the, in the response. There's so much excitement in the story. He motions them to be quiet. And he describes to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Now, interesting thing. Don't miss this. Did the Lord actually bring him out of the prison? No, he didn't. The angel literally brought him out, but who got the credit? The Lord, because he sent the angel, right? And you see that all the time in the apostles and, and in the scriptures. And it's important to note that because it's a good pattern for us that whatever happens, the Lord gets the credit for it. Okay? When, when we're, we're delivered, it's not because of us. It's not even because of the angel. The Lord delivered it. All right, let's keep, let's keep reading. And he says, he described to them how the Lord brought him out of the prison. And then he says, tell these things to James and the brothers. And he, he said, and he left and went to another place. Now, one thing I want to bring out here, I know somebody's out there watching right now that said, wait a minute, I thought James got killed. This is a different James. James that got killed was James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, the sons of thunder. This James is James, the half-brother of Jesus. Okay, and he would become um, the one, uh, the, the leader in, in the church. And uh, he was the one that would, would, would be that we would see in the prominent, you know, in the, in the church coming out and stuff. But Peter said, you need to go tell James and you need to go tell the brothers what's happening. And he went to another place. It doesn't say why, but my guess is that he knew they'd be coming for him. And they probably knew where Mary was and he didn't want to be there when they got there. That's my, that's, I'm reading between the lines there. It doesn't say that. Verse 18, at daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. You think? I mean, Herod hated these guys. He put 16, wasn't it four, four uh, soldiers? How many was it? Was it 16? That's what number's in my head. Four squads of four soldiers. And Peter walked across all of them. He just walked out. You know Herod was ticked off, okay? In verse 19, he says, After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. 
And then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Again, Caesarea back in the story. Remember where Caesarea was at? That was where Cornelius was. And we see that Herod's now really upset. Peter's now a fugitive. James, the son of Zebedee, is dead. The brothers know now that they're targeted. So we're going to close up tonight in this part of the story, but uh, we're good on time. And uh, and so read ahead into the, into the end of this chapter because we're going to kind of just skim through the last part of this chapter as we transition into chapter 13 next time. But I wanted to kind of just stop and, and remind us just because we're in the middle of God's will, just because we're being obedient to what he tells us, doesn't mean everything's always going to be okay on this earth. It might cost us our lives. It might cost us our livelihoods, our homes. Uh, the church of Jerusalem had to scatter. Uh, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were in Egypt for a while. Um, all of these things are true. The apostles died horrible deaths. Um, that's not good evangelism in the terms that people don't want to hear that and come to know Jesus and things could be rough. But for us who have been drawn to Christ and we believe, I don't, I don't want to propagate this idea that everything's always going to be okay. It's not. But the glory of the Lord is not dictated by our circumstances. The goodness of God is not dictated by our circumstances. That's why we are people that aren't without hope. When our loved ones pass away, when they get ill, when we lose everything, when the persecution comes, we can still be joyful. Like the disciples and the apostles when they were flogged and walked away rejoicing. That's how you can do it. Because goodness of God is not predicated on good circumstances. And good things happening to us don't necessarily mean that... virgin so that we might actually have life i heard a preacher say today on a youtube video without christ you may exist but you'll never live love you appreciate you i hope you have a great evening we'll see you on sunday goodbye